You're listening to The Setup Podcast, a podcast that helps you navigate new topics in music, tech, and entrepreneurship with the most disruptive professionals in the music industry, turning their experiences working behind the scenes into actionable advice you can use. I'm Sydney. And I'm Sam. And we're your hosts for The Setup Podcast. If you're like us, passionate about paving your own path, hit the subscribe button on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite app because we'll help set you up for success at The Setup Podcast. I want to say a quick shout out to our amazing listeners. Truly, I created this podcast to help those who are new to the industry, just like I was once. And I'm very happy to learn that I can also provide insight to those who have been in music for a while. I want to give another shout out to all of our new listeners of The Setup Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. In case you missed last week, we met up with Kaylee Lauren to discuss how she prioritizes her mental health and music, using her music as therapy and also her latest release, Not Enough. Today, we have Scott Grady from The Mercy Stone to discuss the heartbreaking story behind Crash, his musical process, and the evolution of his band. Hey, Scott. How's it going? It's going well. We're really excited. We've been listening to your music and we're really excited to talk about it. Cool. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. I'm pumped. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of this setup. We'd like to start by by sharing that you recently released Crash in January. And so can you tell us a little bit more about that? Well, so... There's actually a pre-story to the story about the lyrics and narrative of Crash. And the main story is that usually when I'm writing music and songs, I'm very much not using a linear narrative technique. And when I've been asked about the meaning of songs or to explain songs for press or even to my band members or the singer who sings the songs. I tend to hold back in telling them any of the various meanings that have informed the song because I'm not approaching it as a linear narrative. And we can get more into that later, right? But Crash actually is, it's not a linear narrative, but it's very much based in a personal experience and something that's lingered in my mind for years and is just something that just all of a sudden came to the surface as something that needed to be expressed musically. So the story behind the song is that I had a very small group of close friends in high school. I'm a bit of an introvert, so I'm not a social butterfly. If I have two or three or geez, four at the most close friends, that's a lot. But one of my friends, we spent, especially in the last couple of years of high school, periods of time where we were the type of friends that we would spend every day together. And it would ebb and flow a little bit. But we spent a lot of time together. The time that once you graduate high school and you graduate college and you're out in the world, it's it's tough to find openings to forge that kind of relationship to somebody where you get to know somebody that well. So in the really just couple of years that we were super close friends, we spent a lot of time together, had a lot of experiences many of which were listening to music. We were both music lovers. I was a beginner, aspiring musician. I don't even know if I'd call myself a musician at that point. And uh, my friend, who's an aspiring visual artist, 
and he was just he was just a he was just a very present person. He was a deep thinker. And as I got to know him, I got to watch him grow up because those years right so formative. And right after high school, I ended up moving back to the East Coast. And I believe I only saw him once after that in a very short time. I think the thought maybe even that summer I had visited, if not the next summer. So within a year, I had seen him once. And when I visited him, it just, it seemed like the the visions I had for his life evolving in some ways were really on display. He just seemed really full of life. His mind was just really opening up. He's always a smart guy, but just had just obviously a lot of interesting stuff going on in his mind. And the thing that really struck me more than anything was him showing me his art because I'd seen his art you know, maybe a year ago and previous to that. And his art, he showed me some colored drawings that he had done. And I was just blown away, not just by the technique that had, had evolved, but the style that was unique to me, unique to him as far as I know, knew. And uh, yeah, we had a great visit. I was, I was a little bit worried about him because his lifestyle seemed a little bit on the edge without going too much into that. But part of the nature of our relationship being that time, being 16, 17 years old, is we were, in, in some ways, we were thoughtful, introspective young men, but we were also pretty reckless and impulsive. And Lived whole different lives. <laughs> yeah, it, it was just that time of life. And then after, after that, after I'd seen him shortly afterwards, I was living around Philadelphia. And I believe... I was actually up in New York visiting one of my other very few close friends from high school in New York. And somehow I ended up on the phone. I'm not sure with somebody letting us uh, letting us know that our friends had turned up missing and asking if, if we knew anything. And he'd, I, at that point, he had been missing for, uh, I think, s- several weeks. And at first, especially being that age, well, he might have just decided to go off on a road trip and not tell anybody. Again, just part of, just a small part of being a little bit reckless. And yeah, as time went by, he never showed up and we would hear rumors about just maybe he had had gotten involved in some bad activity and maybe he was abducted, maybe he was even murdered and we just never knew. And Really to this day, I don't know for sure, but the last that I heard, the last that I heard was that, that several years later, his, uh, his body was found in the Arizona desert. So yeah, that was, at least to my knowledge, that was the end of his life. And not only was it just have a great effect on me, just losing a friend, but there's also just something about the image or the feeling or like what he came to represent in my mind because I knew him as this young person that was just bursting with life and creativity and possibility. In the same way that I hoped that would manifest in my own lives and the other people around me. That's what I was seeing with him. And then just just snuffed out, just gone. And you it's just amazing over over the time that's passed how much he shows up not only in my thoughts, but in, in my dreams. Dream, and he co- and often the dream is he comes to visit, or I run into him in my dream, and I just have this overwhelming sense of just relief. In the dreams that I have, it's usually something that he just went off and had some sort of adventure. Yeah, and it's just this lightening up in the heart 
that's felt that in a way that I didn't even know that the heaviness was still there. If that makes sense. I don't really walk around feeling like I carry this around with me because enough time has passed yeah. but in my dreams that just that relief I feel of just, oh, you've got to live your life and you are by now I get to hear all about it. And um, yeah, so it's this spirit, it, it lives on in my life. And I like to think in some, some small way that I'm continuing the work that we started as young people, him as a visual artist and me as a musician. And in a very long-winded way of coming around to say, the song is just, it's an homage to his life and our relationship. This is a perfect reflection of who he is just based off what you've told us. This song is so powerful. It honestly gives me chills, like just listening to it. And it feels it's like the a song version of this beautiful human being that's made such an impact on your life. And that's beautiful in itself because I'm like you. I don't make many friends. It's really hard for it's really hard for me to make close connections. And so when you have something like that, like no matter what form it is, it's beautiful. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Thanks for listening. I love when songs are so meaningful. But can you Tell us a little bit about your process of creating the song now. Yeah, well, my process for almost everything, it tends to be very messy. Sometimes things come through pretty quick, but sometimes they come out over time and draw on a lot of different musical experiments, I guess you could say, musical or lyrical experiments. So I started to have just an impulse to write a song. And it wasn't a situation where the song in its entirety just came to my mind as some sort of vision. It was just a just an impulse, right? just an impulse to express something musically. And when that happens, it's just, there's just a, a part of my brain that holds on to that idea, that impulse, and is just constantly on the hunt for lyric, some musical material that just fits. And it's messy and it's largely intuitive, not mapped out and planned out. So I think that musically when the song started to shape, take shape was in the same way that a lot of songs take place is just, is just improvising on the guitar. So I'm a guitarist primarily, mm -hmm. my main instrument. I'll play some other, I'll play some other instruments and I'll definitely play other instruments, not as proficiently, but as a, as an, as, a, as an excuse to break out of a little box when I'm writing. Some songs I'll have sat down with a hand drum and just sang over the hand drum. But in this case, it was uh, it was just an acoustic guitar. And I was, I was just improvising, just not thinking at all. And eventually it took shape into something which I found compelling, which is always completely subjective, but it was real. It felt, some, felt like the beginnings of something that that wanted to exist instead of something wanted to exist in a, and grow, I guess is the best way to put it. And my wife is a good sounding board and she took notice of what I was playing. So that's always a helpful a hint that I might be onto something. She said, Oh, Hey, what's that? And that just reinforced the feeling that, Oh, okay. There's just something musically here. And then that sat for a while. And I started to feel that this could be some of the musical basis for the song Crash. 
but I wasn't sure. And it just, it sat around. I probably, yeah, I probably recorded it on my phone. Mm -hmm. I do a lot of, a lot of ideas. And then I think that I was just scrolling through some of those aforementioned musical ideas that are 10 to 60 seconds long that I'll just record on my phone. And I had just recorded a very simple melody that's somewhat of an approximation of what you hear at the beginning of the first melody. And it, it just struck me as worthy of a musical experiment. And I started to just sing just probably syllables, nonsense syllables over the guitar part. And it, it, seems to, it seemed to work. I had to, it probably changed into an unrecognizable form. But I used that melody as the basis. It just, it felt, again, it's just subjective. But for me, this is where a little bit of the magic happens. It's just having musical experiments and things just come to a, come together in a way that it's hard to really plan out or to do on a deadline to say, I'm going to finish the song by the end of the week or the month or even the year. This melody might have been on my phone for well over a year, I think. And, um, and I just started singing over the melody and the melody had to change a little bit because I think the melody was like straight four, four kind of melody. For those who don't know, they, they might do a <laughs> learn about four, four time and have their minds blown. So yeah, the melody was straight four, four sort of thing. So I thought about the song a little bit and some things that are interesting in addition to the story, some musical ideas. And yeah, when I was writing the guitar part, it, it came across somewhat ryth rhythmically irregular as does a lot of the music that I write at times. So. Yeah. It's, uh, it's three bars of four, four. It's five bar. It's five bars total, which is like slightly irregular for a phrase, but it's three bars of four, four, a bar of two, four, and then a bar of four, four. And none of it was planned out. Right. So eventually if we get into talking about musical background, I spent a lot of time studying music and studying mm -hmm. music rhythmically complex. And uh, I'm really glad I did because I don't think about it at all, but it really informs the music that I write. So anyway, the melody had to change to, to fit over that. And then just the, the lyrics at that point, there was other, there were other musical innovations as the song went, went on, just mm -hmm. developing it into a pre-chorus and a chorus and an instrumental in the beginning. But yeah, I, once I had the first verse or two, then the song was definitely going to be a song. And I didn't know if it was going to be a day, a week, a month, a year or more. But I knew for sure that, that this is the direction it was going to go. And so I, did your uh, wife. Yeah, at least <laughs> in the beginning. She liked the guitar part. And I I had to, I, ha I felt the necessity to, in my next conversation with my mother, warn her that I was dropping an F-bomb in a song. And because uh, she doesn't, she does not like her children using profanity at all. <laughs> her mother does really. <laughs> and uh, I tried to reassure that it's not my, it's not my MO. I'm not looking to be obscene or shocking in any way, but it's, it, what can I say? It, it was Some, just called. For it. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes the art just calls for it. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, from then it, 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 things evolved pretty organically from there, just sort of spinning things out another interest so the guitar part that that i'm talking about i heard my thought is it okay if i just play something for you real quick and so i'm not sure how it's going to come out but the beginning so the guitar part that i'm talking about starts out like this mm -hmm. 
so I messed it up a little bit. But if you've listened to the song, you hear that guitar part in the chorus of the song. It's not at the beginning. Yeah. But that's again, that's part of the musical exper- experimenting that, uh, that I like to do is I compose that melody, the verse melody over the guitar part, but then take away the guitar part, bring down, bring back the guitar part later, and then compose a vocal melody. And that, that's the chorus that you hear singing over that. And yeah, and again, just like th- those kind of compositional processes, just conducting little experiments of seeing where the melody, where the lyrics, where the harmony wants to go. And yeah, at that point, it becomes even more just intuitive and more like unconscious and just what works subjectively. And yeah, when it was and when it was finished. Yeah, actually, the one interesting thing, too, is with the, this song is I think it, I think this song was maybe not the song, but definitely like one of the songs where I began to go through the process of really trusting my instincts with music production to a greater degree all the music that you hear in our catalog is written and arranged and to some degree largely performed by me and some of the other people in the band and i would all i I would do the production as part of the process usually mostly once the writing was done but for the final for the final taking it to the next level production and mixing wise from the very beginning i always worked hand in hand with somebody who was a producer and mix engineer. So Got everything it. was co-produced. Okay. And I just didn't have, a, I just didn't have the technical chops and to some degree still don't. So, but, dur- but during that song, I really started to feel that it is, is I handed it off to a producer to work with, to, to co-produce and uh, did, a, did a great job. And we might've had one or two versions where he might've added some things, changed some sounds and very skilled dude. And it sounded great, but it wasn't the, it wasn't the, aesthetic it wasn't the vibe Mm. that i was going for so i ended up just coming back to the production elements that i was working on and by the time we got finished working on that song he was actually encouraging me to just do all my productions and then maybe hand them off to somebody for final Mm. mixing that's just another skill set that that people are good at but yeah so it also has a special place in my heart for that reason is is yeah just start to build my confidence that I could do a hundred percent of the hundred percent of the production and just trust somebody else with the final mixing. So, yeah, well, I mean, it does sound beautiful. So that's amazing that you are getting 99% there. Here is a preview of crash. And I- I love so much that your music, because I started listening to your the album, the most recent album that you guys put out too. And I just love so many instruments and there's so many parts and I hear the melody and then the lyrics on top of that. And so as a group, what is the process when you're working with the rest of your bandmates? So it's definitely evolved over time, the live version of the group. And the group that has recorded on the last several tracks, as well as 
hopefully everything for the rest of our lives. Relatively new, it's come together in the pretty recent past. The singer you hear on Crash, that's Armia singing, and she's been singing lead with the group for just about a year. So our artistic partnership is only a year old. And uh, two of the other people, Fun Howie, yeah. rhythm guitar and backing vocals, they, we've been working together just a little bit longer than that. But all in all, as far as finished music goes, me and I have tracked just about, I didn't count up in my head beforehand after, but about maybe a half dozen tracks and then a whole bunch more that are in the process of being made. And Howie Nadifa have been on several of those, maybe three or four at this point. And the the process of working before they were involved with the group was pretty much me writing everything and giving it to various people to perform. When there was a bass part to be played, I would either play it, to my, play it myself or there was a bass player that I was working with who would just come into the studio and work on and just play the bass part as written. And the, sa- the same with vocals. There's been various people who have sung on some of the other tracks before Mia. And part of the process of creating all the songs before a year ago was actually finding the voice, the singing style that worked for the song. That was actually a big part of it. So I think before Mia, as far as our studio releases, as far as lead vocals go, I sang on some tracks. I'm not really a great singer, but I just, I really liked my vocal quality on some of our songs. So I sang on some, and then there was three other lead vocalists. And yeah, sometimes if somebody would try something out, but their voice wouldn't work, I'd probably always try it myself. And most of the time I didn't feel like it worked. So there was that part of the this time. Yeah. But in, in the past, it's just been calling on different people who are involved in the group to come and lay down drums or cello. One of the, one of the guys I've worked with co-producing the material, he's a cellist and he laid down some great cello tracks, but 99% of the times there are things that I would write. Sometimes not write down. I mean, with him, I could just hum him a melody on the cello if it was simple and he could play it. And that was great. But if we go up to now, I'm really trying to make things more of a collaborative process because as you can see by how I described it, Everything up until very recently, there's been so much control on my part, writing and maybe performing and producing like every every track that's on the album. And with the group that we have now, I'm trying to fun way, gently push them as much as I can to contribute. Sometimes there's there's material that needs to come out a certain way. But for instance, with, with Mia, probably every single track that we've done so far... Uh, she's come in. And by the way, these the this track and the track that we'll be releasing are the first two times that Mia has ever sang into a studio microphone. That's incredible to me, yeah. honestly. Yeah. She is such a beautiful, well-refined voice that I would have never guessed that in a million years. Yeah, it's pretty stunning. I don't want to speak too much to Mia's story, but from what I remember of her history, she's taken, I think, several years break from not really being active as a performer. And of course, she had never recorded before. 
And she, so she actually came into the group as a backup singer. Her good friend was singing with us. And when her friend left the project, she just, she just stepped right in at the next rehearsal. And I always thought I couldn't hear her as well. <laughs> I always thought she sounded great. And so she, she came into the studio and was just even the very first time that she came and recorded, this is just my, my bedroom studio. And we started working on stuff. It was, it was quite a rush. All the people who have recorded vocals before, they have they have great skill and artistry. It was just different when she came to the studio in a personal way and a musical way. She has a, a skill and a power to her voice, which is just really fun to play with. But I think more than that, just her her intuition, just the way she just adds little subtleties to the vocals is really great. And beyond adding just subtleties is... One of the reasons why I absolutely love working with Mia is she will take in all this very specific information that I'll communicate to her about the vocal lines. When it comes out of my mouth, sometimes it sounds silly <laughs> because it's just, it's so, such small details. She'll sing a line if she's singing the word river. Say, ah, it just doesn't, just not so hard on that ER, not such a river, but a river or something yeah. like that. The things that really do feel important to the musical expression. So I'm very much cued into the sound of words. And of course they can be pronounced differently. So I'll give her and all this very nuanced rhythmic information about the, about the vocal melodies. And she learns it pretty darn quick. And She's great about that. She's great. She just she just takes it all in a way that I think a lot of people might definitely feel micromanaged. In fact, maybe have <laughs> micromanaged in the studio because it's like, hey, I'm a singer. Just let me sing. And I totally get that. But again, just part of their relationship and the reason why I think things have been working so great is she, Mia doesn't get, she doesn't seem to have any sort of negative reactions to that. She's just a sponge and she's just absorbing just my initial impulse. And then she'll say, what if I try like that? And some of the time I might say now, nah, or maybe, or, and some of the times I just, well, that's great. And uh, so a lot of the, a lot of the vocal lines are just slightly altered and ornamented in a way that probably wouldn't have done, but I really love. And yeah. so that's definitely a collaborative process. Yeah. That's and true. Yeah, that's, that's true. True collaboration. And it's really cool to see like the evolution of the Mercy Stone from the inception in 2016 to now. Honestly, like all the different, and it's really cool that everyone, like even throughout, like whether they're stepping away, stepping up, it is just going with the flow and trying to collaboratively find like what works for you guys and your sound. Yeah, it's definitely check out our catalog and especially continue to check it out over the coming months and couple of years as we're releasing stuff. It was definitely a big evolution. I was one of the other people that I was working with co-producing a few of our songs, actually. We were in the studio and I think we were just scanning for reference tracks, just things to references we were as we were mixing a song and he pulled up some music out of our catalog, the Mercy Stone catalog. And he was going through and listening to several songs and saying, oh, every song kind of sounds like a different band. And in the very quick instant, my mind felt like satisfaction. Oh, that's great. 
And then actually realizing that it wasn't meaning it like, a, like an insult or anything, but I actually think it was a little bit of a practical tip, which I've definitely gotten before, that it's, I think it's a little bit of a niche of being a band where you're not going to consistently satisfy the expectations of your audience. And yeah, to me, that's exciting. But to a lot of people who hear Crash, if they go and listen to some of the other songs, they might not feel, well, like my partner said, he might not feel, he, they might feel like it's not even the same band. And hopefully they still dig it. And yeah. hopefully there's common threads of expression running through there. But. So actually talking a little bit about your fan base, since your band and the sound and perhaps from like your influences might have changed throughout the years, have you noticed a difference in your fan base based on your transition throughout the years? That's a good question. In the beginning, there was a conscious effort to write, produce, record, release music and build a body of work and an online audience at the same time, which of course is global. And now there's the live version, which is some new material. True. Some of the songs are rearranged because it's not the same instrumentation, it's not the same vocalist. So with the live group, well, we'll wait and see, we're at the beginning of that. With the, um, with the stuff that we've released, maybe this is relevant because you talk with a lot of creators on the show, as far as music promotion goes, Myself, like a lot of artists over, over the years, have leaned on things such as social media promotion, just running ads to get your, your music in front of eyeballs and earballs. And when you do that and you're hoping to engage people and have them check you out on other platforms, you go to Spotify or Apple Music or YouTube, you usually do some targeting and you can target fans of other artists and you can tar target different genres. And yeah, every I usually I personally do some trial and error. I try out some different things. So with Crash, I might try pop rock, which seems silly in a way, but it's something that came to mind. Alternative rock, indie pop, things like that, as well as yeah. certain artists. And you see what works. And yeah, on different songs, it's often radically different audiences mm -hmm. to respond. So I'm not a I'm not a super nerdy data guy but i just look at what's working what is drawing the bulk of people to these other platforms to check out our music and engage in a sustaining way and yeah it really varies so just one of the, one of the many artists that i find myself drawn to a large body of their work these days is uh, dirty projectors and their catalog is tame way and Jeez, I mean, there's music that, I, that of theirs that I just I think is so amazing, so sublime. And there's other stuff in the catalog that I don't connect with at all. And it's not necessarily because of style; it's just they have a, a large body of work. And it ranges from electronic production to very much modern and retro rock kind of sounds, R and B, and just it, all over the map. But for me, the consistency through a lot of it is just really great. Just really great writing. The substance of what there is, of what's there is just so cool. So I actually haven't had luck trying to target fans of Dirty Projectors, but because uh, I think our music is pretty different from theirs as yeah. well, even as a whole. 
I have but, to check uh, them out. I have not heard of same. the dirty projectors, but you know, sometimes it can also be like what they stand for as well. Maybe it's not always just about the music. It could be like also they just have a super niche, super loyal fan base that maybe is not looking to explore new music. I think playlists can can work for you really well because a lot of people will discover music through them. That's nothing new. You probably already know that. But I think by genre and mood would help for you because your genre is like spanning a couple of them. Like your music is spanning a couple of genres. So maybe that's something. It's a work in progress artistically yeah. and uh, from a marketing perspective, I guess. For sure. And you know what? Marketing itself is one full-on job. So... I think yeah. you're with looking at the data and going with what's working is half the battle. So kudos to you. I know that you were talking about how you want to push the band into being a little bit more collaborative when you were creating your band or when you did include Mia into becoming the main vocalist. What type of characteristics are really going to help make that collaborative effort? Different people have brought very different things. That have that, that have different value. I think at a musical level, I'm pretty open myself. So a lot of times, just maybe come having impulses which are, are different than mine. Actually, so having people that we wouldn't be working together if they didn't feel some sort of connection with the music that yeah. I've already written and am in the process of writing, I guess. But I think it's appealing for. Yeah, someone to have just, which everyone does, a different musical background and a different set of ears and to approach things in a way that I wouldn't. It just goes back to the history of the group where just, you know, me as this one person has had so much control over everything. And not, and so now it's, it's a situation where not only can just give that over to, to other people, but give it over to people who might have some very different taste in music and different skill sets and what's and what they've performed holistically even this group actually is completely different than its inception it started up as a project that i created when i got out of graduate school and i was composing modern music in the western art music tradition it was all instrumental yeah. And it was pretty, it was pretty challenging to play. It was pretty, it was pretty heady and it required a pretty high level of musicianship to play. And now the project has evolved into something very different. It's not an instrumental group. It's not relying on just virtuosic musicianship or anything like that. And so as we play now, a lot of the arrangements are stripped down into a couple guitars, bass, drums, vocals, and allowing things to be a little rougher, a little rougher around the edges in the live performance. And getting back to your original question, other qualities too. It's such a, it's such an awesome thing right now to be working with the people who have stuck around at the moment, because I really feel like every person enjoys every other person's company a lot. And I think I've always valued that but I'm not sure I've ever valued it as much as I do right now. One person can really, what's, how should I put it? One person can, one bad chef can royal, ruin the soup or something like that. So yeah, so having a group of people right now that when we get together, it, it's not just that I enjoy their company, which I do immensely, but you know, when I'm not part of the conversation and I jump back in, they're having fun with each other. They're talking about, 
the music and things other than the music and having fun where we're going to do a band retreat, hopefully very soon that we did last year. And it was so much fun to spend, I forget how much, like three or four days just hanging out. And that's, yeah, that's pretty great to have at the moment. And I am sure hoping it continues. Yes. That's awesome. We're excited to follow you guys too. Like moving forward. I'm excited that you guys are listening and thank you very much. for. Oh, we love it. Oh yeah. You got two more fans right here. I followed you on Spotify and I think YouTube. So (laughs) you got definitely the phase of just, uh, there's always the big picture stuff, but you know, that one person, that one fan audience member at the time, it's how we roll. Yeah. Yeah. Getting to know you guys has been, well, you in particular, since Mia wasn't able to join us, but getting to know you and like the background, like you're artistic. Let me tell you, we've learned quite a little bit. Well, yeah, a little bit from the process because we can appreciate that you got a little bit more detailed, but we just have one last question for you. And we'd like to ask it every single time. It's our favorite question. What do you want to be known for? Wow. Well, I'll answer that in two parts. And one is just addressing a little bit of the, like the semantics of the question, right? So what do like what do I want to be known for, want the project? And so I think it was I've been watching some music documentaries lately. And I think it was, I believe it was a documentary with the guitarist, songwriter. Bob Weir of the Grateful Dead. And he made a comment somewhat in passing. And I think he was, I think he was quoting maybe some Tibetan scripture or something. He said, In the halls of eternity, nothing is remembered of you. And then he went on to say, So, so have a really good time while you're here. And that's put forth that as his guiding principle. So it's actually, it actually, it sounds strange to say it out loud because I'm referencing myself, right? But it's actually a really important process of the journey to not really think about myself and my ego in terms of the success and failure of the project, right? Just to focus on to focus on what happens, like the work that's done, right? So like that's the first part, right? I like Is, that. Um, yeah, there's just a beauty of it that that I just connected with. So it's not my it's not my wisdom, but it's something that I feel like the more I can put aside worrying about, it, just trying to take that, just taking that over awareness of self out of the equation and not being afraid to fail and just going for it, I think is really beneficial. And on the other side, you just what I want the project to do is there was actually a, a review. So we've we've done, we've just had this release on the 23rd of January. And so we've done some press. And I think that when we did a press release, I believe I put a, there was a review of our first album. And to paraphrase the review, it was a really cool review because it wasn't just like a fanboy fangirl review. It was very much hedged in a beautiful way. It said something like, this music isn't for everybody. Maybe it's not for most people. And they said some adjectives like it's weird, obtuse, but then it said also it's just masterfully composed and they use language again, but they basically said there's people who really get it, who really connect with it. 
there's little in all of the body of recorded music that can work someone to a different place. And so that's the guiding principle that I use for the project is I view the music as a vehicle for transcendence, which sounds really esoteric, but music can be so many things. People can connect with it emotionally, physically, intellectually, bring them back to other experiences in their memory. There's the conscious, unconscious factors going on. And all I want to do is give up is just give something that allows people to tying back to what I said first is to then their sense of self and enter into a world of sound that engages their imagination and helps them to connect with the miracle that is existence of not only us and our lives, but the universe at all. I dig it. Um, well, thank you so much for that. I can really hear like your passion and the I think you bring more to music, like just with the meaning around it. And you have such intention. So I'm really looking forward to hearing more from you. And thank you so much for joining us on this episode to literally talk about your music, your journey, and the continued evolution of the Mercy Stone. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. This was my first extended Q&A interview ever. So thanks for helping me have that first time experience. I hope it wasn't too bad for you. (laughs) You can connect with Scott and the rest of the Mercy Stone on Instagram at the Mercy Stone. And the release crash can be heard on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, everywhere. Anywhere to your liking. Thank both of you again for having me on. and, And hopefully we'll get to connect maybe sometime down the line and talk again. Absolutely. Yes. Bye-bye. See ya. Thanks for joining me for another episode of the Setup Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please review the Setup on Apple Podcasts. And I encourage you to share this episode with your friends and colleagues. If you have any topic recommendations or questions, please visit us at www.thesetupseries.com.